This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee, where we've now had five consecutive days where the number of new COVID-19 cases has exceeded 1,000. The governor says it's because of more testing, but it could also have something to do with the reopening of Florida and all those mitigation measures that are no longer being practiced. The number of COVID-19 fatalities continues to rise, and later today we should surpass 2,800. That's just in Florida. Nationwide, the total is more than 112,000 deaths, more than 2 million confirmed cases. Tropical storm Cristobal slogs ashore in Louisiana, soaking the entire southeast, including much of Florida. The rain did not stop the Black Lives Matter marches in the Sunshine State, but it did cool things down a bit. Health experts are now recommending people who take part in the protest get tested for coronavirus, just in case. The embattled Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence is suing two insurance companies that sold them professional liability coverage last year and are refusing to pay now that the state is suing the coalition over excessive payments to their former director. The insurance companies say their policies don't cover fraud. Today on Sunrise, a monologue from the governor on the state's efforts to protect seniors from COVID-19. More than half of Florida's fatalities have been at nursing homes and adult living facilities, but Ron DeSantis claims we are a model for the rest of the nation. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and check in with Florida Man, who did not know his racist remarks were being aired live on Facebook. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, June 8th. There have now been almost 64,000 confirmed cases of coronavirus in Florida, including 2,786 fatalities. On Sunday, the health department reported 1,180 additional cases of COVID-19. That is the fifth day in a row where the state's total of newly confirmed cases was more than 1,000. The state also set a one-day record for new cases on Thursday. Now, those numbers have led to fears that the state lifted its stay-at-home order too soon. But Governor Ron DeSantis is trying to downplay those concerns by saying it's actually an indication that the state is doing a better job testing for the virus. We've really stepped up testing as the supplies became more plentiful. We've, we've really done a lot. Uh, we've tested over a million people in the state of Florida uh, right now. And uh, if you look, I think obviously New York, California, and we're pretty close to Texas um, fighting for number three. Um, as we've done this, particularly over the last couple weeks, you know, you're really looking at uh, very low positivity rates compared to many other states. Uh, it's been as low as 0.62, um, very rarely even hits 5%. It has done that. Um, and so you have well over 90% of the tests on any given day in the state of Florida are coming back negative. Um, and that, that's a good thing. In fact, if you look, um, the Surgeon General is telling me this morning, if you take states that have 5 million or more people and you look at the positivity rate, um, we think Missouri is lower than Florida, but we don't think any other state would be lower in terms of the positivity rate. So we certainly have one of the lowest for any state with any significant population, and, um, and that's a good thing. Additional testing is indeed a good thing, but there is another explanation for all those new cases of coronavirus. Fewer people are honoring social distancing requirements or using masks now that we're in the recovery and reopening stage. And you don't need a report from the health department to figure that out. All you have to do is walk outside and gaze upon the uncovered faces of your fellow Floridians who are enjoying phase two of the recovery. Or go to the restaurants where people are standing in line waiting for a table to open up. Bon appetit, Florida. Tropical storm Cristobal soaked the Sunshine State over the weekend, but it didn't stop the protests against police brutality. People marched through the rain all across the state to memorialize George Floyd and call for the reform of tactics used by police when dealing with civilians. 
Protesters in Tallahassee weathered the storm Sunday to stage a sit-in at the governor's mansion and demand statewide policy changes to policing in Florida. The group of about 50 stood in the rain, waving signs, chanting at the officers guarding the entrance of the mansion. Now, most of the marchers I've encountered here in Tallahassee have worn face masks, but when they're marching in large groups, it's kind of tough to maintain social distancing. That's why public health officials are now urging protesters to get tested for coronavirus. The fire chief and the arts manager in Boynton Beach lose their jobs after they whited out a mural depicting former fire department officials who were black. The revised mural gave a white face to Latasha Clements, who was the city's first and only black female firefighter and a deputy chief. It also whitewashed the face of Glenn Joseph, the city's former fire chief. The Palm Beach Post reports the city manager of Boynton Beach fired Chief Matthew Perry and public arts manager Debbie Coles-Dubay, saying she would not tolerate disrespect for any part of the community. The Florida Coalition Against Domestic Violence is suing two insurance companies to try to force them to cover the cost of a lawsuit that accuses the coalition of paying too much money to its former leader. The Department of Children and Families and Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody are suing the coalition and former Executive Director Tiffany Carr, who received more than $7 million in compensation over a three-year period. When she filed the lawsuit back in March, A.G. Moody said it all came down to one woman's greed. We allowed a government organization that received taxpayer funding to have contracting ability to disseminate funds while at the head of that organization was someone that was more concerned with their own pocketbook, their own compensation, paid time off, indeed one of the greediest people I have ever known in charge of a nonprofit, we allowed this person to take taxpayer money that was supposed to go to victims of domestic violence. It has become clear as a result of the investigations and the hearings of the Florida legislature that it was necessary that we take legal action against Tiffany Carr and against the Florida Coalition against domestic violence to not only recover taxpayer money, but to preserve critical evidence to, insist, to assist in investigations against Ms. Carr. I am disgusted at the mismanagement and greedy misuse of public funds that were meant to assist victims of domestic violence across the state of Florida. The legislature passed and the governor signed a new law stripping the coalition of its no-bid contract with the state earlier this year. And Ron DeSantis said he'd like to get that money back from Tiffany Carr. I mean, you have a situation here where you know, you're, you're, there are state and federal funds involved in trying to help victims of domestic violence. And instead, that money is being used to line people's pockets, uh, do fraudulent paid time off fun mansions, I think, out of state. Um, and so we would like to see whether you know, you're able to, to get some of that money back. The fact of the matter is those were not appropriate uses of the funds. Whatever money's there, you know, that money needs to go put on the target of why it's being appropriated. And that is to help people who are victims. And if someone thinks that they can get into this and make millions of dollars, that's not what this is about. This is supposed to be about a public service where you're serving people um, who are in unfortunate situations. 
While the court battle is underway, the Coalition Against Domestic Violence is trying to make sure someone else pays for what they did. Back in December, the group purchased liability policies from Hanover and Travelers that include coverage for defense expenses and the amount the insured is legally obligated to pay as a result of a claim. Well, the insurance companies now argue that they should not be liable for paying any of that money or the coalition's legal fees because it all happened before their policies were in effect and because the board committed fraud when it bought the policies by refusing to disclose their legal troubles. So the coalition is suing both insurance companies to try to force them to pay. Next up on Sunrise, the governor says Florida is doing everything it can to protect seniors in long-term care facilities from coronavirus. Yet more than half the state's COVID-19 fatalities have occurred there. You're listening to the Sunrise Podcast from Florida Politics, and we are much obliged. Florida Hospital Association members are safe, ready, and equipped to care for all Floridians. As our hospitals resume elective procedures, ensuring the safety and well-being of our patients, employees, and communities remains our first priority. Contact your local health care provider for information on visitation policies, access restrictions, and how to get needed care safely. Please visit the Florida Hospital Association at fha.org slash COVID for more information. Welcome back to Sunrise. This is the part where we usually do an interview, a deep dive, or just let someone ramble. This fits into that last category. It's a monologue from Governor Ron DeSantis on keeping seniors safe from COVID-19. In Florida, uh, since the pandemic began, um, the number of fatalities related to COVID between ages 0 and 18 have been zero. Zero fatalities ages 0 to 18. 85% of all COVID-related fatalities have occurred in the age group 65 and older. So of all the fatalities COVID-related in Florida, only 15% of those have been in age 65 or below. So we know where the at-risk population is, and we are continuing to focus a lot of our efforts on protecting those. This is something that we did from the very beginning because if you looked at the data from the other countries, it was obvious South Korea, Italy, um, that this was, I think you had a median age fatalities in Italy at the time was 82 years of age. And so we understood where um, where the, the real risk lied with this. Uh, so we did a lot working with our long-term care facilities, uh, requiring the, the visitors and, and the staff to be screened temperature, ask questions about who you've been in contact with, any travel that you may have done. Um, Eventually on on March 15th, just ban visitors outright because we didn't want to run the risk of introducing the virus into the facilities. Required the wearing of masks on March 18th. Now that was when places like the World Health Organization said don't wear masks. We thought it was important to do it um, and so we did it. Uh, We also, I think, of all the things you could have done one way or the other, uh, we uh, prohibited hospitals from discharging COVID positive residents back into the long-term care facilities. So you have people who are positive but medically stable and they probably don't necessarily need hospitalization, but if they're contagious and you put them back in the long-term care facility, uh, we've seen in other states when that policy was done, it spread like wildfire and caused way more hospitalizations and way more fatalities. You don't want to put a COVID positive patient back into a nursing home, but you do have people who test positive who don't ever have symptoms that would require them necessarily to go to a hospital. We view that as as problematic because 
of the risk of spread in those facilities. These are facilities where you could have spread very quickly. Uh, so we've worked with um, the Department of uh, uh, Agency for Healthcare Administration has worked with different facilities. So you now have in the state of Florida a number of COVID dedicated nursing facilities. So if you have a resident test positive, you don't have an ability to isolate them. You can transfer them to a COVID positive facility where they have people who are COVID positive and the, the risk of spread is not the same as a normal facility. So you have them in, in Duval County, Escambia, Polk, Charlotte, Broward. They're working to have more of those online, uh, but that's something that's very, very important because allowing folks to stay in long-term care facilities if they're not appropriately isolated, you know, that will lead to spread going forward. From the very beginning, you had teams from ACA to Department of Health, uh, inspections, assessments, support, because this is very important to protect the vulnerable. We did a, a, a mandate of wearing PPE, and a lot of these facilities, I mean, they range. Some skilled nursing facilities really have a lot of medical capacity. Some other long-term care facilities, they just don't have as much. So you're requiring them to do this, but we're also putting the money where the mouth is. And so you've, you've uh, de delivered, the state of Florida has delivered more than 10 million masks, a million gloves, half a million face shields, and 160,000 gowns just to long-term care facilities uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. And now that you've heard that from the governor, here are some numbers you should know. 155,000. That's how many Floridians live in nursing homes or adult living facilities. 1,388. That is the number of residents and staffers killed by COVID-19 at those facilities. And 51.4. That is the percentage of deaths in Florida that involve residents or staff at nursing homes and adult living facilities. Your calendar of events? Well, the big show begins today. Qualifying starts at noon for many state and local offices, including the legislature. The qualifying period ends at noon Friday. The University of North Florida Board of Trustees meets at 1 o'clock in a video conference call to talk about reopening plans for the fall semester. The St. John's River Water Management District Governing Board holds a budget workshop at 2. At 3, the State Agency for Healthcare Administration holds a webinar about a proposal to extend the statewide Medicaid-managed care program for three more years. And acting U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf will tour the National Hurricane Center and meet with U.S. Customs and Border Protection employees at Miami International Airport. Finally, it's time for the adventures of Florida Man, who really needs to figure out how Facebook works. A Florida man has resigned from the Board of Trustees of the Naval Academy Alumni Association because he and his wife made racist remarks and used ethnic slurs while talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. What they did not know at the time was that their comments were being broadcast on Facebook Live. The Florida Times Union in Jacksonville reports that 63-year-old Scott Bethman and his wife Nancy were watching the news and discussing the Black Lives Matter movement when he somehow clicked the live button on the computer. It took him 33 minutes to realize everything he and his wife were saying had been broadcast. And the last thing he said was, oops. They shut down the account, but it was too late. The racial rants had been recorded and went viral. That's it for Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics.